The following audio is from Overland Park Community Church. More information about OPCC is available online at www.overlandpark.cc. Good morning, everybody. How are y'all? Nice to see you guys. July 4th kind of following, falling like in the middle of the week, so it's like, hey, are we excited about the 4th? Or, you know, I guess it's okay to say that now. I have like a really funny, awesome 4th of July shirt I really wanted to wear, but I was like, well, do I wear it this weekend or next weekend? Or like, I'm confused. I, I don't like when holidays like fall in the middle of the week. It's like confusing for me. Uh, anyway, uh, it is hot. It is summertime. And without a doubt, um, it, it feels like 4th of July. Um, I'll tell you guys, like, so Jimmy is gone for, for uh, those of you guys that may be wondering um, why, where Jimmy is. Jimmy... Uh, and Abby and his family are in Ardmore, Oklahoma. This is kind of an annual thing for them. They have a um, family reunion down there every year. Uh, it's really cool. Like, I'm, I'm super thankful to be uh, in the position that, that I'm in here to be able to spell uh, our beloved Pastor Jimmy and uh, give him a break from the pulpit and let him go and love on his family, enjoy some time at the lake. And uh, it, was, it was cool. Um, so Jimmy's cousin um, is a pilot. He's got like this cool, I don't know what it is, a beach, beach something? I was going to say beach nut. That's actually a tobacco. Uh, beach, beach craft. There we go. Cool looking plane, man. Anyway, he, he flew in, and, and so Jimmy took the boat and the kids down there early, and I scooped up Abby uh, this week, and I took her over to the Johnson County Airport and uh, dropped her off and saw Jimmy's cousin, you know, you know, flying in the plane, and sweet little Abby's, like, I could tell she's nervous, you know, uh, but it's really cool. So that's what they're doing. Um, I'm really like refreshed right now, um, and, and uh, Molly and I, we just got back, We've for the last two days, we just took a really short trip uh, back to Arkansas, some of you know, like, that's where Molly and I, we call it home, we're both born and raised in Texas, but um, we call Arkansas home, and so uh, Northwest Arkansas is where we were, vid- visiting some friends, and um, you know, it, we, we went to, so at our church back in Arkansas, we went to, um, it was one church, but they had a Sunday morning congregation, and then they had a Saturday night congregation. Same church, but different pastors, you know, teaching pastors, different sermon series, different messages, different worship, but all f- fell under the same church body. And anyway, it was really cool. So we called our, the Saturday night congregation our church home. And so we got an opportunity to uh, go back and visit our old church. And for those of you um, that have, you know, m- maybe relocated here from someplace else, and if you walked with the Lord faithfully and you loved your local church there, you know what a joy it is to go back and uh, visit your old friends and families and, and pastors and hear the old worship leader. And uh, anyway, it, this was really good for my heart. Like, I feel incredibly refreshed, and here's why. Like, when I was sitting in the, in the, in the, in the uh, seat, you know, in the row, it's a decent-sized church, um, but, like, we walked in the door, and uh, we, we were with some of the friends that we were with, and we, we were going down to sit down, and we, we got there a little late, confession, and, uh, 
uh, uh, Pastor Matt was up there, and he was, he was kind of starting a sermon like I, like I am right now. And, and we walked down the row, and he's like, the Haddocks. He's like, what's up, guys? And he didn't know that we were even going to be there. And so it was just cool. Like, it was such a warm welcome, you know, like that we were, we were an identifiable face, like in that community. And it's like, it just reminded me, like, we miss it there. We really do. Like, we miss Northwest Arkansas. I love everything about it. The trees, the hills, the creeks, the fish, the climate, the golf courses, the people, the churches, the businesses, the food. I love it. I absolutely love it. I really do. And it took me a while to call Kansas City home. Like, it took me a long time for Overland Park to feel like my new home. And, um, but I'll tell you what, like, I was sitting there just kind of making an observation and reflecting on, man, like what is what God's doing here, like at OPCC, like and I and I was sitting there kind of asking myself, you know, not God, why did you move us to Kansas, but rather, oh Lord, I know why you moved us to Kansas, I know why you moved us to Kansas, Lord, like thank you for that, like I start, I just fell in a spirit of praise and thanksgiving for what God's doing in my life as I was sitting there at the old church with the old friends and the old community that I love so much, being thankful for you guys and knowing that I'm standing on this stage right now because God has a work for me and my family in Overland Park. Like this is a testimony. I stand here right now because God put me here and he sent me here to to partner with Jimmy and shepherding your souls. And what an amazing opportunity that is. I'm unworthy, but Jesus says that I am. And so here I stand. So I'm freshly encouraged to be in front of you guys today. Uh, Jimmy, uh, I'm going to continue in the series uh, called The Kingdom, where we're talking about how the kingdom moves, okay? And I'm going to tell you, um, I'm going to share with you about some stories, uh, both in my own life and, and what we see here in the scripture. And that really is a primary theme of today's sermon is, man, like stories are how the kingdom of God moves. That's how it rolls, okay? I'm sharing with you just what I just did two minutes ago, share with you a story about my weekend and how it encouraged me and filled me with purpose to be here preaching to you guys on a Sunday morning. So the stories of what God's doing in our life help the kingdom move forward. Now, I didn't realize that, that God was uh, into mathematics until I started doing a little bit of studying uh, in preparation for my sermon. And so coming off of last week, right, Jimmy preached about Ananias and Sapphira, right? Uh, a very powerful story and, and certainly a strong move on the part of the Lord uh, to subtract two people from the church by his sovereign hand, right? They were struck dead for deceiving the Holy Spirit and walking in deceit, right? The Lord um, showed himself um, very strong. The Lord showed himself extremely sovereign in doing that. So the Lord subtracted from the church. We see in uh, this passage here that we're about to read that the Lord adds to the church. We also saw in the... um, Uh, Chapter 2, Acts chapter 2, immediately following the day of Pentecost, Peter preaches the first sermon. It says that the church began to multiply, right? So God has multiplied the church. God is adding to the church, which we're about to read. God has subtracted from the church, as we spoke of last week. 
I was amazed to realize the Lord never divides the church. Amen. That is good news, man. Just, just that is a free nugget for you. The uh, Acts chapter 5 is where we're going to start. Acts chapter 5, verse 12. I'm not a big notes guy. I'm terrible at following them, and I don't like confusing you guys. So we're going to break Acts chapter 5 up from verse 12 to the end in three sections. Um, I don't have any fancy notes like Jimmy. He's much better about that than I am. But follow along. The apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people. And all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. No one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. But nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. We see that daily the Lord was adding people to the church. The family of God was growing every single day because of the preaching of the truth. As a a result, people were brought, I'm sorry, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by impure spirits, and all of them were healed. This first section here, uh, verses 12 through 16, I've kind of deemed in my notes here, even Peter's shadow. And I'm intrigued by this. Like, what, what is going on um, with these people, we know that the Lord is daily adding the, to the church in number, right? We know that the, the apostles are filled with the Holy Spirit, right? It says that they went and preached with all boldness. So they've been filled with a supernatural boldness to proclaim, to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ to the community of Jerusalem, right? And um, what, I, what I'm encouraged by is I, I was actually reminded as I was reading, that, that people were, were throwing themselves even in the shadow of Peter, believing that they might too be healed. I was reminded of the woman in the New Testament with the issue of blood, that she believed that she could even touch the hem of Jesus' garment, that she might be healed. And she had spent all her money, all her time, she spent her life savings trying to be healed of this flow of blood that could not be resolved, yet she was exercising her faith. It was a, what, it, what, it, what it was for her, and it was no different for these people, that um, it was an exercise of faith. So the reality is there's no healing power in the garment of Jesus. We know that, that, that we know that to be true. We know there's no healing power in the shadow of Jesus. What the, what the Bible is teaching us here is that the Lord can work when we make an active move of faith. Like we're taking steps towards believing in Jesus. Like these people were throwing themselves at the shadow of Peter. What they were doing in their um, immaturity of their faith, I don't say that in a negative sense. I say that in, uh, in their newness or their um, 
They're, they're, they're in the early stages of learning to walk by faith and follow Jesus. This is what they felt like they needed to do. They're saying, Lord, like, I'm open. My heart is an open space. Have your way, Lord. Like, I'm just going to try to get in Peter's way the fact that the move of God might come upon my life. And so I think sometimes for you guys, or for anybody, um, the Lord is asking you to, like, make a move of faith. Like, take a step of faith towards Him. I mean, certainly don't walk behind my shadow. You're, I'm not, nothing's going to happen, right? But it's if your heart is, Lord, like, I, I want to take a step. I want to know You. I want to be like Jesus. The words in that song that Corey was singing, make me like Jesus, that actually is my heart, Lord. And I'm going to do something um, that I feel You're leading me to do in order to take that next step. So I feel like that's what they're doing. It's... Um, Uh, It's a bold movement towards the Lord, expressing the condition of their heart. These people wanted to follow Jesus. The Holy Spirit was stirring hearts towards people to follow Jesus. Here's some notes that um, I took. So in the early church, and still to this day, we see God changing people through the use of other people. God is moving the church Like the gospel is being advanced. Lives are being changed. Transformation is happening. The devil and his plans are being trampled by God using other people. Just like you and I, he still does this to this day. Like the Lord could sovereignly reach and save anybody that he wanted to. And the Bible indeed does say no one can come through the faith except for the drawing of the Holy Spirit. God will draw a man or a woman unto himself by the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit. That happens no matter what. What I'm saying is God could just have a moment, a one-on-one moment with somebody and draw them into the kingdom and they never proclaim that they are, they are saved or any of these things. But that's not what the Bible, that's not the pattern of life change that we see in the Bible. The pattern of life change we see in the Bible certainly is my story, and I would bet is almost every one of your stories in here that you came to know Jesus because someone led you to Him. Right? And so that's the pattern for us. We go and reach out and evangelize the world for the good news of the Gospel that people might be saved. And we don't just proclaim the good news of Jesus for a once and forever salvation. We go therefore and make disciples. We invest in their life repeatedly so they might be raised up to the point where they can really go out and evangelize and raise up other faithful men and women who can go and do the same. The kingdom moves in that way. He uses us. So start to have an expectation that God's going to use me. He either is using you right now or he's waiting for you to take that step of faith towards him to say, I'm ready to be used by you. He wants to use you if he's not already. And as we share the gospel, we can offer the same hope and healing to others as the apostles. We always look at Acts and go, wow, they did these amazing things, right? Peter told this lame guy of 42 years to raise up and walk, and he did, right? Well, folks, we live in a world with people all around us, people close to us, I mean really close to us, that are just as broken. I don't personally know anybody that's been in a wheelchair for 42 years. I don't. But I know some people that have been in a prison for 42 years, and I don't mean the building. 
I mean a prison of something that they're hooked on the internet, or the prison of something that they can't stop doing, or the prison of something they can't take their eyes off of. They are in bondage, and they need to be set free. We have the same hope and the same healing as what existed in the first century church. People were coming to know Jesus because people were being set free. And that's what we need today. Here's where it gets good, though. I want you guys to start in 17 with me. Acts 5, 17. So things are rolling right now, right? Things are happening, man. The gospel's getting preached. People are getting saved. The church is growing. Things could not be more on fire and glorious but that starts to change, and this will encourage us and will be the bulk of, of our message here. Verse 17 through 32, follow with me. Then the high priest and all his associates who were members of the party of the Sadducees were filled with jealousy. Uh-oh. They arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go and stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people all about this new life. I underlined that in my Bible. That is a commandment of the Lord to the apostles who were just thrown in prison for preaching the good news. They were just thrown in prison. And that night, the angel of the Lord opens the gates says, boys, come on out. I got you. Go right back and do the thing, that, the very thing that got you put in there. Go and tell the people all about this new life. Go and tell them that you have been born again and what that is like. At daybreak, they entered the temple courts as they had been told to and began to teach the people. It didn't say a few days later. It doesn't say that night. It says at daybreak, they heard the Lord, and as soon as the sun came up, they went. They did not delay. I ask you, is the Lord asking you to, to move with a daybreak-like mentality, or are you waiting until the evening or tomorrow or better days? The Bible says better days aren't coming, brother and sister. Better days are not coming. Like the sun won't get any shinier tomorrow. It won't. And so, do not delay. Have a daybreak mentality. When the high priest and his associates arrived, they called together the Sanhedrin, so like the, the Jewish court system, right? Let's, let's call it the Supreme Court for our understanding today. The full assembly of the elders of Israel and sent to the jail for the apostles. They thought they were still in jail. But on arriving at the jail, the officers did not find them there. So they went back and reported, we found the jail securely locked with the guards standing at the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. On hearing this report, the captain of the temple guard and the chief priests were at a loss, wondering what this might lead to. Then someone came and said, look, the men you put in jail are standing in the temple courts teaching the people. At that, the captain went with his officers and brought the apostles. They did not use force because they feared that the people would stone them. The apostles were brought in and made to appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders, says the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name. 
He said, yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. What's fascinating to me is, is not, these are the same people that just a few months earlier, a few months previously, when Pilate stood there and said, do you want Jesus or do you want Barabbas? And, they, and he says, I find no fault in this man, Jesus. I want you all to know that if you crucify him, his, I am not guilty of, of his blood. It'll be you. And what did the people start chanting? Give us, you know, give us Barabbas. Crucify Jesus. Let, let his blood be on us. That's exactly what they said. Let his blood be on us. And here they're saying, oh, you're going to try to make us guilty of this man's blood. They're backtracking on their sin. They're, they, 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 they're looking for a way out. Like what they don't realize is, man, like the damage has already been done for them. They are guilty of this man's blood. But guess what? Like so are we. We are guilty of the blood of Jesus. But what's different about us is we realize that that blood was actually shed as a payment for our sin so that we might be set free. So we actually give the Lord thanks that we are guilty of his blood. Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than human beings. They're saying, let it be known, bros. We're not slowing down. Like we're bringing the good news whether you throw us in jail or not, clearly the Lord's going to deliver us regardless of the circumstance. We were told by God to go and tell the people all about this life and we obey the Lord, not you. They had boldness. They had a confidence in what God had told them to do and they were fierce about executing it. So I ask you, do you have a confidence in what God has told you to do? If you are a believer in Jesus Christ this morning, are you confident in what God has asked you to do? And are you fiercely living that out? That's something you need to ask yourself. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead. This is Peter, man. He's bringing it, he's bringing it good. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on a cross. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgiveness of their sins. We are witnesses of these things and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. Here's the deal. Persecution is happening really for the first time since the church was born. The apostles are being significantly persecuted. We'll actually see here in a moment, they end up letting the apostles go, but not without a quick flogging, a throwing of stakes into their backs before they let them go. And the apostles actually leave rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer the same as their Lord did. We'll get to that in a second, but here's the truth. People are going to stand in your way as you grow in your relationship with God. People are going to stand in your way as you grow in your relationship with God. They're going to do it. You're going to have a friend as you start to grow and pursue the Lord. You have a friend that you've known your whole life or, or for many years that you love dearly, that you know is not walking with Jesus, and neither are you. But yet the Lord's moving on your heart today. You're, you're going to have a daybreak mentality. You do not 
delay in what the Lord is asking you to do. He says, take up your cross and follow me. And you're, you're saying, yes, Lord, I'm going to do that. You start to grow. That person is going to provide resistance. I'm telling you right now, they're going to provide you resistance, but we shouldn't fear. I, I, I'm so thankful. Um, some of you guys know that I'm in the real estate business, uh, and that's just a, a tent-making uh, way that the Lord has made for me to provide a, a, an income for my family while the Lord has called me to be here at Overland Park Community Church to love and lead you guys as the Holy Spirit does. And so I've learned about a few things about real estate, and I really enjoy this new career that the Lord has me in. There's four steps to real estate success, according to my real estate broker. And I don't know if he got this from a book or a podcast or who cares, it doesn't matter. What I'm going to tell you is, is a earthly story or strategy around real estate, but I'm going to make a heavenly application for our spiritual lives. Okay, here we go. First step. Building a, a successful real estate career is you got to get attention. People have to know you're in the business, right? The number one thing is to take massive action. If you go from not being a real estate agent to now this is my primary source of income, uh, unless you take massive action, you're in big trouble. You're in really big trouble. One closing a month on a $200,000 property, uh, paying 30% of half of the commission, it just, I don't know if you guys know how to do math, it doesn't work out, okay? It doesn't cover the bills, so you've got to take massive action. You gotta let people know. In the real estate world, you gotta post on Facebook, you gotta get signs out, you gotta make calls, you gotta call for sale by owners, you gotta call expired listings, you gotta call other agents, you gotta get out there and make moves. You've got to take massive action. You've gotta let people know. The same is true in your spiritual life. You, like, if you want to be a person of God, like if you want to be used by the Lord, if you want to fulfill His calling for your life, you got to take massive action. Like, you need to read your Bible. You need to go to church. You need to start praying. You need to seek godly counsel when things come up in your life because they're going to. You need to get to know your pastors. You need to meet people in your church community and start to de develop relationships. Like, you need to get in the game. That's step number one if you ever plan on having a successful spiritual life past just salvation, okay? Step two is to start getting some criticism. You're getting recognized, but you're getting criticism. In real estate, this happens often, I've experienced it myself, where you do step one so well that some haters start to surface. Hey bro, you don't need a new truck to sell real estate, you know that, right? You know? Hey man, you don't need a side-by-side a -side to show a pasture farm, you know? You can see the whole thing from the road, you know? Hey man, you don't have to put up two signs, you know? There's only one road frontage, right? You know, I mean, you, people can see your signs, you know? They say all these things, and at first it's a little discouraging, but as I was reminded talking to my broker, he's like, no bro, you're in the game. You're taking massive action. You're doing all the things to get recognized. People are taking notice, and some haters are starting to surface. That's a good thing. In your spiritual life, people, if you're doing step one so well, you're taking some action, you're taking some steps of faith that actually prove out that you're following Jesus in your life, People are going to start to take notice, and some haters are going to start to surface. St expect that. Step three is separating those that are for you and against you. So now the real deal comes in, man. 
Step three, you know you're in the game, man, when people are either calling you saying, dude, you're charging too much commission, you got too many signs out, the, the uh, uh, highway, uh, the Department of Transportation is calling you saying you can't put your signs here, you know? It's like, dude, you have better things to do than rip my signs out of the ground, but that's okay, man. Thanks for calling. All that tells me is, is that I'm putting enough signs out to be successful. Okay, when you have people in your life being like, oh, man, on Sunday, it's a great day to go to the lake, man. Why don't we just go to the lake? Why do, why do we have to go to church every Sunday? Because I'm taking massive action, man. I'm going to get involved. I'm going to get in the game. I'm going to let the Lord first know that I'm serious about following him. I'm going to stop making excuses, you know. And, the, but the, and step four is to get admiration, and we don't desire the admiration uh, from God like God is saying, oh, good job, you know, you're, you're following me well. What I mean is in the real estate world, people can't deny your progress and they want to figure out how can they get on board. The same real estate agents that were calling you, complaining about your signs and your listings and your commission and your listing presentation and all the things that you're doing because it's making them look bad are the same agents now calling you saying, hey, bro, how do I get on board? How do I get on board, man? I'm ready to have the success that you're having. I've been doing real estate for 10 years, man, and you've doubled your GCI, your gross commission income, and I haven't done anything. What are you doing? Oh, bro, I'm taking massive action. That's what I'm doing. I'm showing the real estate market that I'm serious about selling property. The same thing is true in your spiritual life, man. People can't deny the Lord is in you. They can't deny it. If you're taking massive action, you're pursuing Jesus with all your heart, you're not letting the haters and the criticism get in the way of your pursuit of the king, people start to go, man, like you're getting some freedom in your life and I don't have it. How do I get it, man? Now you're in a place of leadership. When you're in a place of leadership, you don't have to be the pastor at a church. You just have to be filled with the Spirit, have a love for God, and know that He's sending you out to make disciples. They can make disciples. They can make disciples. That's all there is to it. And so uh, we read in verse 33 through 42, and then we'll wrap it up. When they heard this, they were furious. The, the, the Pharisees were absolutely furious, and they wanted to put them to death. They wanted to kill the apostles for preaching Jesus. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, now it's important to know that it's, Gamaliel was a like principal Pharisee, okay? He was one of the chief teachers of the law. In fact, we read in Acts 22, excuse me, Gamaliel was actually the teacher of Saul of Tarsus, who then became Paul, okay? So Gamaliel was taught Paul the ways of the law. Okay, that's interesting. So Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, who was honored by all the people, highly respected. He stood up in the Sanhedrin and he ordered that the men be put outside for a little while. Then he addressed the Sanhedrin. Men of Israel, listen to this. Consider carefully what you intend to do to these men. They want to kill him. And he's saying, whoa, 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 whoa. Consider carefully what you want to do. He says, some, verse 36, some time ago, Theudas appeared, claiming to be somebody, and then 400 men rallied to him. He was killed. All his followers were dispersed, and it came to nothing. After him, 
Judas the Galilean appeared in the days of the census and led a band of people in a revolt. He too was killed and all his followers were scattered. Therefore, in the present case, I advise you, this is some good advice, leave these men alone. Let them go. For if, they, if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. Verse 40, his speech persuaded them. They called the apostles in and they, they had them flogged in the same manner that Jesus was flogged before he went to the cross. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus. And then they let him go. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing that they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name of Jesus. Day after day, day after day, meaning every single day beginning with the very next day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. Like that is motivating. That is encouraging. These guys have been put in prison. They had had hooks thrown in their back. They had been sentenced originally to death, but were later acquitted by Gamaliel, by the fortune of the Lord. They leave there rejoicing that they, counted, they were counted worthy of the sufferings of Christ. And they went on preaching as the Lord had asked them to. If our lives are truly centered on Christ and His will for us, nothing will be able to stop our progress. Like if our lives are centered on Jesus, man, nothing can hinder our progress spiritually. Nothing. I was reminded of Romans 8. Let's read in Romans 8. Let's see. Where am I, at? I got this new Bible, and I'll tell you why I got a new Bible here in a minute. That's a cool story. Romans 8. 31 through 39. I want to read this. Paul says, what then? And, and I want, I'm reading this in, in, with the idea in mind that like, okay, if we're going to get serious about Jesus, persecution's going to come. How do we navigate through that? And where's the hope? Here it is right here. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all. How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? Like, if you're walking with the Lord, you were chosen of God. That's what the Bible says. Like, your life is in his hands. It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? Nobody. Christ Jesus, who died, and more than that, was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Like who? Who? There's no, nobody. Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written in the Old Testament, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered sheep to be slaughtered. But no, in all these things we are more than, a, more than conquerors. Underlined, more than conquerors, through him who loved us, which is Jesus. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, neither present nor future, nor any powers, nor height, nor depth, or anything else in all of creation 
will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate us from what God wants to do in your life. But most of us live in fear. Most of us live in fear, and the Bible says that needs to be repented of. And then you will find freedom. Tell the Lord you're sorry for not believing what his word says about your life. And then you will move forward. That's it. If you're wondering, why am I still in the spiritual mud? I can't get out of this thing. Put it in four-wheel drive. Repent. Tell Jesus that you're sorry because it's sin when we walk away from the Lord and we don't do what he's asked us to do. That's sin. And, And we just say, Lord, help me to move forward. Like, give me a fire like the apostles had. Give me a boldness and a courageness to walk out my life in a way that would be pleasing to you. And so that's my big idea for today's topic. Like, I land the plane there with if God is for you, nothing can stand against you. Nothing can stand against you. Like, memorize Romans 8. Do yourself a favor. Like, it will encourage your heart when things get tough. Like, Remember the, the, the four steps to, you know, real estate success. But, I mean, I don't care if you remember anything about the real estate part. I want you to know about the, your spiritual life. Like, take massive action. Like, expect criticism. Start to sort through the, the followers and the haters. And then start to see yourself as a leader because you're having spiritual success. I don't mean that you're earning God's favor. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about you're living a life that honors the Lord and there's fruit on the tree of your life and people are coming to know the Lord. I want to share a cool story with you guys as I land this plane. You guys know, some of y'all know, I am involved in Baseball Chapel, like a a really cool ministry with the Kansas City T-Bones. I have the good fortune of being able by the sport of professional baseball to go in, I have access to the locker rooms, the umpires, the dugouts, everywhere I want to go and preach the good news of Jesus Christ and carry my Bible around and minister to the men and the women and the, and the coaches and the umpires. It's such a great opportunity. And this past weekend, I, I wasn't at church last weekend because there was a rain, there were some rain delays and some stuff going on there at the ballpark. And I was there for a few hours, and it was a little longer than I'm usually there. But I was like, Lord, you're up to something. I had my Bible, and I sat out there in right field in a wet seat, and I was reading. And I felt the Lord was just like, man, bring the word today. Like, preach the gospel. Tell them the fullness of the, of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Like, how he was born, how he died, how he resurrected how he showed himself to men, and what he taught about salvation, about being born again, about being filled with the Spirit, and about living a new life empowered for the gospel to change lives. Tell them about that. So I did. I went in there. I preached out of Matthew 12, where there's two spirits in the world. There's those that gather and those that scatter. I felt the Lord challenging me to ask them, are you a gatherer or a scatterer? Do people look at your life and, they be, and, they, and they're gathered? In, are you gathering people into the kingdom of God? by the way that you live your life? Or are you scattering people from the kingdom of God by the way that you live your life? Do they see the fullness of Jesus Christ in you walked out on a daily basis? Or are they confused if you even know the Lord or what it's like to follow him by looking at your life? So I challenged the men with that. And I said, I don't know, this is a heavy message. And I I used up all my time preaching during the chapel time. But I said, I tell you what, there's a guy in here, or maybe two, or maybe three, I don't know. Somebody's here, his heart is being stirred towards the good things of Jesus, and they need to turn their life over to him today. I said, I'm going to be standing right out here, outside. You guys file out. I know you got batting practice and a game coming up, and whatever you need to do, pitchers are warming up, but all that can wait. 
if somebody here needs to give their life to Jesus, and this guy comes up, he's the last guy out, he comes up with a tear in his eye. He said, hey man, my name's Kenny Meimerstorf. He said, I don't know you from Adam, but he said, God moved on my heart in this chapel service. He said, I've never heard the gospel clarified before. I didn't know that Jesus paid for my sin. I didn't know that he loved me despite my actions. Before coming to know him, he said, man, I'm ready for Jesus. I want to be born again, man. Tell me what I have to do to be saved. I led Kenny in a prayer, and I just said, Lord, take his life. He's ready. This is it. This is what you tell us to do. Give us your life. Lay down our cross. And, or take up, lay down our lives and take up our cross is, is what the Bible says to do. And I said, Lord, take Kenny's life. And I, and I felt as I was praying for Kenny, I had my Bible, which was given to me by the man that taught me about the good news of Jesus and led me in the Lord and discipled me in the ways of being a disciple of Jesus. I had my Bible there, which was very dear to me. The Lord said clearly, give him your Bible. Tell him that it'll change his life. And so I did. I stopped praying. I said, Kenny, I can call you my brother now. I gave him a hug. I shook his hand. I, was, I told him I was proud of him for coming forward and moving, letting the Lord move on his life. I gave him my Bible. I said, dude, it'll change your life. So I did a little Bible shopping this week. Got me a new Bible, and I'm kind of getting used to it. It's a cool one, though. I like it. But that's a story just this past week of how God's adding to the kingdom daily. Like he's doing it, man. God is alive. Like are you living like Jesus is dead? I know people that are. I know people that are. You ask them if they're saved, they say, yeah. You ask them what the, what the good news of Jesus is, they can't tell you. Jesus is dead in their life. He, they live as if he is dead, and he is not. We worship a risen Lord who is desiring to draw people into his family that we can be in fellowship with him forever. Thank you for listening to audio from Overland Park Community Church in Overland Park, Kansas. For more information, visit us online at www.overlandpark.cc.